From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT shop has it all. Browse our shop now at TNTradio.live. The choice is between normal, Natalie Cheel, or crazy. Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Morning. And welcome to today's News Talk. I'm Natalie Chill. Rick Munn is here with me. We've got Gemma Cooper coming up as normal. Uh, we've got guests galore as well. We've got Charlotte Hodson and we've got vet TJ Duncan Moore, who'll be coming on to talk about the XL bully regulations that have come into force this week. And we've also got Refusenik Paul from X. He's going to be coming on to talk about the post office scandal and the recent TV adaptation. Uh, don't forget, of course, to log into our online chat and we are open line and we've got an open line to call in at the end of the show so if you hear anything you want to talk about that we're covering give us a call we would love to hear from you and uh yeah i was watching the darts yesterday did anybody else watch it watch it um i was down the uh, pub having a diet coke i'd like to add and uh yeah it was a bit disappointing we were all waiting uh for uh the 16 year old to win but he didn't quite manage it unfortunately but uh he's still gonna get a massive deal apparently lots of money lots of sponsorship i'm not sure he's gonna be that disappointed at 16 he's got lots of years of playing darts to come and uh, yeah I saw yesterday as well uh, in the uh, Daily Fail uh, about Weatherspoon's prices now we all have to wor worry when Weatherspoon's prices go up uh, a meal that used to cost a meal deal it's like three plates for I think it was £10 in 2018 it's gone up to 18.50 now uh, which is quite a price increase and uh, I also thought of the Freddo price index people say that's how we judge really in this country how much the prices are going up it used to be 10p now 27p i checked today so uh what? yeah we'll be keeping an eye on the freddo price index too rick have you seen any increase in prices where you are any any big changes everything everything's up i mean like, that's a shocker about freddo for people for people who don't know Fredo, we're not talking about uh, uh, Michael Corleone's brother in Godfather Part 1 and 2 here. We're talking about a little chocolate frog that's available, a little budget snack that's available in the UK if you want a little chocolate fix, a little fat frog. Used to be 10p. Not, I'm in absolute shock right now. Fredo's are 27p. I'm hoping Fredo's got bigger and fatter, or is he still the same size and we're just paying almost three times no. as much money for him? No, yeah, yeah, it just keeps going up because it went up by about 5p, didn't it, each time? So, I mean, I've just checked. It says 27p. You may be able to get it cheaper elsewhere. I can't guarantee it. I haven't done full research. So maybe you could, you know, if you can find out, see the uh, look online, see the price of Tesco and Sainsbury's, I don't know. But I know it's gone up a lot. And people use, uh, they call it the Freddo Index as a uh, indicator of where we are They're in the country. Try, try stamps. Yeah. Uh, I was sent to the post office to buy a book of four first-class stamps. I had about two quid in my pocket, and uh, I said, how much will that be? And the girl said, I don't know, was it £4.50 or something insane like that? I almost died to death. I can remember first-class stamps used to be 16p, and when they put them up to 32p, there was a public outcry. Now they're about a quid uh, for a first-class stamp. So, you know, is there any, you know, is it any wonder people are moving away from sending things through the snail mail, through the Royal Mail Postal Service, when it yeah. literally costs an arm and leg. It can actually cost you more money to send somebody a gift 
than the cost of the gift itself now, which is absolutely insane. Yeah. So yeah, everything that uh, we're getting squeezed everywhere. Yeah, and uh, I asked uh, on X, just checking with everyone, I said, I only received two Christmas cards this year. Am I really, really unpopular or have they gone out of fashion? And everyone did say to me, you're not just that unpopular, they have gone out of yep. fashion. And they said the price of stamps is a big part of it. So don't worry, I'm I'm still not that bad, apparently. We'll see. Yep. Um, Gemma's just coming up, so don't go away here at TNT. Delivering the facts. Source I can trust. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. TNT. Were you popular, more popular than me, Gemma? Did you get any more Christmas cards than two through the post? I did. I did get uh, more than two. Um, I, li- <laughs> I live in a quite a nice community where a lot of the people are a lot older than me, and I think they're very traditional. Oh. And a lot of them were hand delivered through the door. And I'm a bit. I'm. A, I'm like you with Christmas cards, and I know you. You've talked about this before. You just can't be bothered with it. And I do think it's such a ball ache, isn't it? You're sitting there, but then when you get them, you're like, oh, I've got a card, you know. So it's like you've got a give to receive, haven't you? And uh, I, I did quite like putting them up on the on the windowsill it made me feel quite festive but I didn't send particularly many I just waited till people sent me one and then felt obliged to send one back <laughs> yeah I think that's that's, that's why they yeah we got hardly any we kept checking the post box every morning it was empty every day <laughs> every day coming up to Christmas but yes like you we were not reciprocators uh we didn't send exactly. any out either and I'm just getting pictures uh Gemma of your local community you said there's a lot of old folks there and they like to hand deliver the cards number one it would bankrupt those old guys and girls if they were sending those cards first class post and I've got pictures of these old women on Zimmer frames with a huge <laughs> sack, sack on their back shuffling around the village popping uh cards through people's letterboxes just to keep the tradition up but yeah it's killing christmas folks natalie you'll be glad to hear that yep. but the royal mail postage prices literally it's killing christmas well at least, at least there's always a silver lining eh that's the best way to look at it and what story have you got for us this morning Gemma? Well, it's a, it, it brings in a figure that uh, does really kind of divide uh, our, our movement, our, our, our kind of like-minded souls, if you if you want to call us that. But it's uh, Elon Musk, actually. Um, at SpaceX, uh, one of his companies, has been um, urged today to uh, apologise to former employees who were fired for criticising Musk back in 2022. I don't know if you remember, back in 2022, uh, some of the employees got together and they wrote an open letter to the board of directors at SpaceX and they were criticising Musk. They were saying... His behavior was a distraction. He was an embarrassment, allegedly, um, and they wanted the board to kind of deal with him uh, and they all got fired and apparently as well they were interrogated interrogated before they were dismissed now um the national labor relations board has just announced it's just broken in the last few hours that it's filed a complaint against spacex uh, and it, it is facing fresh legal trouble it's saying that there's a possibility that um well it's saying basically that he did the company unlawfully terminated the employees contracts for for um dismissing them for criticizing the boss and uh, it's violated workers' rights under federal labour laws, which do allow workers to join together and collaborate and and to uh, employ the lobby rather for better working conditions and company policies. Um, also, the lawyers for the defendants are saying that SpaceX had a, a toxic culture. So the National Labour Relations Board are bringing a case. Uh, there's a hearing set for March the fifth, and if SpaceX doesn't settle, the case will be heard by a judge. And if SpaceX uh, finds that uh, it's been found to have violated federal law, um, the National Labor Relations Board in America can order the workers to be reinstated and their pay backdated to 2022 when they were dismissed. Now, it's not 
Elon Musk, who's been told he must apologize to these employees, former employees. It's the company. But of course, Elon Musk is so synonymous with every single company that he is head of. Uh, and it's not the first time that his firms have been accused of, of breaching uh, workers' rights. For example, last October, the National Labor Relations Board again uh, accused X this time, formerly Twitter, of illegally firing employees over tweets uh, challenging the return to office, the company's return to office policy. And Tesla has also faced calls of allegations of racial discrimination at some of its factories. Now, earlier on in, in TNT today, uh, Dean Mackin had a guest on a guy called Prometh, who knows Elon Musk and has done quite a lot of interviews with him on Twitter. Now, Prometh is definitely one of us, you know, he thinks like us and, and he's, he's absolutely in love with Elon Musk. He says he's this great figure. And he's such a divisive figure in the alternative world. Some people think he's the savior and he's on our side. Some people think the exact opposite, but because he's so synonymous with his firms, the fact that SpaceX is being told it must apologize to these former employees for unlawfully dismissing them and could have to actually reinstate them if this hearing goes that way. It's almost synonymous with Musk has to apologize. Uh, Musk has to, you know, it's that Musk is responsible for all of this because he heads up and is so such a public and pivotal figure. It'll be interesting to see where this where this where this goes. Uh, the complaints been filed today or, or the latter hours of yesterday in the US, and it'll be interesting to see what this hearing says on March the fifth. I mean, I'm, I just can't believe it, though, because, you know, when he bought Twitter, Rick, he, we were told he was a humanitarian. He, he cared about all of our rights, doesn't he? he, he he's about the small person, not, not, not okay. the big corporations and, and earning money. That, that's what I'm Elon gonna Musk be, is all about. I'm going to be controversial here. I'm not a fan of Elon Musk. I don't trust <laughs> no, the guy as far as I can throw him, but I'm 100% on his side in this case. Kick their miserable asses out of your company. If you were running a company, if I was your boss and you guys wrote an open letter saying, Rick is a distraction, he's incompetent, he's just a diversion, I would be looking to oust you guys out of my company ASAP. Think about it. They were happy to take his wages, but they didn't want to take the flack that came from criticizing the boss. And I know there was uh, legislation there that could protect these guys and get them back in, but uh, I would say there's more to this than meets the eye because I've worked for a lot of large corporations, as I'm sure you guys have as well. And if they want to find a way to get you out, they will find a way to get you out. Those terms and conditions of your employment, there's always little loopholes there that they can hound you out of the company. So even if they are reinstated, I would not want to be in their shoes because they will have huge targets in their back and they will legitimately oust them some other way, shape or form. But it does make sense. And I understand if you're running a company and doing it for whatever reason, I'm paying somebody's bills and paying somebody's wages. And then they turn around and write an open letter slagging you off uh, publicly. You know, you got to admit uh, you, your feathers would be a little bit ruffled by that. So it's not really any big surprise that these guys were uh, are men and or women. I'm not sure what the makeup is. Were, were booted out of uh, SpaceX or whatever part of his uh, organization that they were in. That's just my take on it. I think there's an important thing to say about freedom of speech here as well, because freedom of speech doesn't come without consequences. Um, right. And some people like to think, you know, we want to have freedom of speech. That means I can say anything and nothing will ever happen to me. Well, no, you, you have the freedom of speech to talk and you can say what you like. But if you work for a business and if I want to sit here right now and shout and swear about TNT um, mm. and, 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 and slag it off on air, there's a good chance I might not have a job tomorrow. That That's the way it works. Those are the consequences that I will face. I still have the freedom of speech to say it, 
But, yes. but of course, there, there's going to be actions taken, Gemma. And uh, uh, if you're going to sit there and, 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 and say awful stuff about your boss, yeah, there might be consequences, mightn't there? Mike, Mike, Tyson, Mike Tyson summed this up perfectly. He said the problem with the internet now is the removal of the consequence of getting punched in the face for saying something about somebody that they don't like. So in other words, everybody can do these things remotely now. Back in the day, if you wanted to insult someone, you had to go up to their face and do it. And he used to get mercilessly picked on when he was a kid. And of course, he result he reacted in ways, let's just say, that silenced his critics. So not advocating violence. And yes, if company law was broken here, Gemma, of course, these people have legal recourse to get back into the company yes. again and get reinstated. However, I wouldn't want to be going back into that atmosphere because they will be tasked with finding a way to get them legitimately sacked or make their life a living hell if and when they return back to that company. If it's anything like the companies that I used to work for back in the day, they were uh, merciless when it came to people with grievances, getting them the hell out of the company. And I'm sure you've seen plenty of that in the Beeb too, Gemma. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I I won't name names the things that I saw in the BBC, but sometimes there were certain uh, managers that did have confidence votes uh, put against them by by staff because they weren't very good. Um, so that's the only time I think you've got the kind of you you have to kind of pick an argument if you're a, if you're in the position default position of powerlessness, i.e., you're not the boss and you want to pick a battle like this. You've got to know that you can win it on the evidence based. Um, and, and, and that applies to all firms. If you do put a vote of confidence in against the senior manager, you have to kind of have a lot of evidence to mm. back it up. So I wonder if if in this open letter to the board, they did have a lot of evidence to back it up because it is a very stupid thing to do, as you rightly say, Natalie. Um, yeah. And uh, you, you, what you say, Natalie, is correct. You know, if you're going to go off on, on one and say these things, there will be consequences. I, I remember saying to an ex-boyfriend of mine once, one of my, my, my many ex-boyfriends, he said, well, I'm free to do what I want. I'm free to say what I want. I said, yeah. Yeah, mate, and I'm equally free not to like it. You know, that's how the life is. That's how it goes. Um, so, but the fact is, they have got lawyers on this case. The National Labour Relations Board has filed this complaint. They're asking SpaceX to apologise, not Musk, SpaceX. But as we say, you can't really separate the two. And he he, he very much looks like a boss who's in control of the culture in his in his um, firms because you don't rise to the top like that and become the world's richest man, allegedly, unless you've got a backbone of Teflon um, and you want things done your way. Um, but it will be interesting to see how it progresses. And like you say, Rick, even if they're offered their jobs back, well, do they want them? Or are they just looking for SpaceX to settle uh, before this reaches a, a judge and a hearing with a judge? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Gemma, for bringing that story to us. I was just reading the online chat. Got on there, get on there, because uh, lots of people um, making comments about Musk. Uh, we will see you tomorrow. Uh, plenty of stories here to cover now at TNT. TNT Radio's Joe Hoff. Just a terrible situation there, and Biden was behind it, pushing these arms, pushing billions of dollars over there. We don't know where that money went. I'll bet you money. I'll bet you a huge percent uh, went. I bet you more than fifty percent didn't go to the uh, to the people or to the war. Uh, it went to people's pockets, kind of like what we have in in uh, Palestine. Uh, with the U.S. since since well under Biden, uh, Trump shut this down, thank God. But under Biden, Obama, they started sending billions over to. Uh, that part of the world these people are, have been after Israel forever and, and uh, supported by Iran and billions of dollars going their way and uh, to help them not you know basically uh, 
create chaos in the Middle East, terrorism, and, and we saw what happened earlier this year, about a month ago, uh, the two-in-one attack in Israel and the death and destruction, rape and kidnapping, more than 240 people kidnapped. Joe Hoft on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I'm just going to do a little voice I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old, and it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. Listen. Listen up! Now listen, we gotta talk. It's what we do best. This is today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Welcome back. Remember, we've got an open line to call at the end of the show. Welcome to the show as well, Charlotte Hodson. She is a singer and songwriter and freedom fighter. Uh, you can find her on X at Charlotte L. Pierce, P-E-A-R-C. She's here to talk about the new XL bully regulations that have come into force this week. Very passionate about them. Uh, former dog owner. I don't know if she still is, but adopted one in the past as well. And uh, it all changed on the 31st of December. It's a two stages. So uh, the first is that all dogs have got to be muzzled. Uh, and then from January the 31st, we need an exemption certificate. That will include neutering dogs, an application fee, public life liability insurance and microchipping them obviously that all comes at a cost so we're seeing lots of dogs now being abandoned or put down so uh charlotte as um a dog owner are you still a dog owner now but uh what do you yeah, think about blaming a whole you are right uh yeah. so <laughs> what do you think about home uh, owning or blaming a whole breed of dogs uh rather than actually the humans themselves being taken responsible uh, for these, uh, well, they're calling them a whole new step, uh, thing of attacks, but there's been uh, dogs who have not been uh, great for a long time now. Yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking. I mean, my dog is now 11. He's a rescue dog. So we found him in a rescue center. And funnily enough, there was a, the first dog I saw when we went in was a yellow lab a six month old and I thought, oh, perfect. A Labrador family dog. I've got two young, I had two very young children at the time. And um, the, the people working at the rescue center said, no, you can't have him. He's far too much of a handful to have around children. 
look at the, all the other dogs. So I was looking at smaller dogs. Um, didn't really look at the, the bully type dogs because I'd, you know, I didn't know much about them and I knew that they had a bit of a reputation, wasn't quite sure. But I knew that any time I saw one, they'd been the sweetest things, it always came up so friendly. Um, anyway, it was actually my ex-husband who uh, noticed this dog in particular. He was in a cubicle with another dog that was really boisterous and um, jumping around everywhere, making a load of noise, standing behind him with these beautiful seal pup eyes and just not making any fuss at all. He was about five months old. And I asked the lady working there about him um, and that breed actually. And she said, I've got two Jack Russell Russells and I would not trust them left in a room with children on their own. This breed of dog is known as the nanny dog and they are the best to have with kids. So that completely made me think differently about the whole thing there and then. Um, I brought him home and it was hard work for me to train him because I realized I had this dog in my home with a very big powerful jaw that could potentially do a lot of damage, especially with my younger child who was very small. And so I had to put a lot of hard work into making him safe. Um, but uh, it's heartbreaking because now he's just the most beautiful dog that everybody falls in love with. He's so friendly, he's wonderful with the puppies, with babies, with children, with little dogs that come yapping at him and you know, really aggressive towards him. Most of the time he just runs away. Um, and it's, it's so sad because he is literally three to five millimeters shy of the height limit. So he's just under the 20 inches. And if he had been 20 inches, I mean, when I found out this news and I read the guidelines and I, was, I didn't have a tape measure on me at the time, I went cold, I was shaking, I was nearly crying, thinking this poor dog now cannot have his freedom to be off lead out in public. He has to be muzzled. He's going to look like he's dangerous, even though he's got the softest, gentlest demeanor. And there are so many dogs that will be affected by this. And that's what I can't let go is the fact that, okay, my dog is a few millimeters shy, but I, if anybody sees him and reports him thinking that he is that kind of dog, it's going to cause us a hell of a lot of stress. He could get taken away. He could be, you know, assessed. And all of that's going to be so distressing for any dog owner that has this kind of dog. Uh, it just doesn't, this, this rule doesn't work. Will your um, dog get upset if um, they had a muddle put on them? Because that's what me and Rick were wondering. We've spoken about this. Does it actually distress yeah. the dog? It's greatly. Um, I had to put a muzzle on him when he was very young because he was on medication and he couldn't eat anything other than, you know, the prescribed food. Uh, and he is a bit of a scavenger, so he'll pick up anything when we're out on a walk and... Um, rather than let, keeping him on the lead, I wanted to have him off lead, um, muzzled so that he could have the freedom to run around. And he was just walking alongside me, whimpering. He couldn't breathe properly because they have a very big face, a big jaw. And this particular muzzle, he couldn't open his mouth to pant. Um, if it was any bigger, he could have got it off. So muzzles are actually not not ideal because, the, you know, the dog can't, open their mouth properly, breathe properly. Yeah. So it's really cruel, unless it's absolutely yeah. necessary. 
Yeah, we, we'd be also been talking about education and training. Rick, did you have anything uh, to add for Charlotte? Yeah, I was going to say, Charlotte, that was one of the uh, the discussion points that Natalie and I have had in the past about this muzzling. I've seen some really aggressive muzzles for dogs where it's almost like Velcro straps wrapped around yeah. you know, their nose and lower jaw that they can't even open their mouths, which I think is cruel. Uh, they shouldn't be mm. done. Or as you say, you know, these dogs have huge jaws. So, you know, what do you where do you draw the line between, you know, restricting their breathing protecting the public and actually having something that's not distressful for the dog to actually wear because if it does become rule of law and legislation whether or not the dog likes it or not or the owner likes it or not they're going to have to comply with it or they, they could be fined or maybe the dog could be taken away exactly and this is the problem is that visually for you know to the public if you see a dog muzzled you automatically assume it's going to bite that it is aggressive it's it, it's got a muzzle for a reason um and secondly, that the, the, for the welfare of the dog and the mental welfare of the dog, you think how that's going to affect dogs psychologically as well when they can't breathe properly, when they are being, um, you know, restrained in every way. They don't have any freedom to even open their mouths and pant and and breathe. And, you know, you'd be vocal how they normally would. They use their, their voices to other dogs. It, all the communication goes. It's It's just so damaging in every way totally unnecessary most of these dogs most of these dogs with with good owners are really well trained and and safe and if there is any issue the owner will know to keep them on the lead um some dogs obviously like humans like anything might have a bit of a psychological problem in which case i would hope that a good owner would would realize that this dog is is a, a bit of a problem you know but it is it is down to the owner i've got a friend who has two dogs of this type um, one of them doesn't fit the guidelines because he's much smaller, but he is the one that isn't safe <clears throat> around other dogs. Fine with humans, but not safe with other dogs. Mm. So he takes his dog out on a lead. He doesn't feel, I don't, I'm not sure whether he muzzles him or not, but he knows that, you know, this dog has to be kept on lead. He's got another dog, which is the same size as mine, but actually a lot, quite a bit broader. Um, same height, exactly. And this dog is the softest, gentlest dog that you could ever meet. Never growled at anyone, never done anything aggressive that is absolutely fine, as good as gold off lead. Um, and this is the dog <clears throat> that fits just about the government guidelines. Like I say, is just a few millimetres shy, like mine. But he's got a neighbour that is not very nice, doesn't like him, doesn't like the dogs, who he knows will cause a lot of trouble so he yeah. feels he's going yeah. to have to adhere to these guidelines. Otherwise, his life's going to be made hell oh. because of people that just have an issue with this breed yeah. and with certain people. Yeah, I do. And I do think that will uh, ultimately happen. A lot of people will be reporting dogs. Um, we, we saw that uh, in COVID times. Um, to, to, and we've got to take a, a break now to go to the headline, Charlotte. We could carry on talking for a while longer, I'm sure. But I wanted to thank you for coming on today's show. Yep. And uh, we've got a vet up next now to talk about um, how that's affecting uh, her practice as well here at TNT. What a news day this is turning out to be. Let's finish it. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. Washington has rushed to distance itself from a series of bombings that killed close to 100 people and wounded over 200 others in Iran. Australia's co-signed a statement alongside 12 other countries condemning Houthi attacks on ships passing through the Red Sea. 
And the White House continues to refuse to accept responsibility for the illegal immigration crisis plaguing the country, now trying to shift the blame onto Republicans. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda. It never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. Okay, so following on from uh, the conversation that we've just had with Charlotte, just concerning uh, the legislation that's being brought in on these XL bully dogs, the focus really in the last conversation was to do with some of the rules and regulations around uh, keeping the dogs in a lead and muzzling them as well. Now uh, we have joined, we're joined uh, this morning by TJ uh, Duncan Moir, who's a manager of Pegasus Vets in Lincolnshire. She's an MBE and also she is a business improvement coach. And I do believe, uh, TJ, correct me if I'm wrong, that the philosophy uh, of the vets that you practice in is to never euthanize healthy animals, which is something that could be on the cards uh, for for some dog owners in the UK at the minute, which is obviously a very distressing prospect for the owners, for the dog, and also for vets with an ethical stance that they won't actually take this kind of an action against a healthy animal. Uh, What do you make of this? It's absolutely disgusting. You know, we feel very, very strongly against this, which is why what we've done is it's always been our policy that we will never euthanize a healthy animal anyway. Um, But there's so much confusion with this as well, because there isn't a category, there isn't a recognized breeze for XL bullies. So what's happening is we are finding a lot of stressed um, owners of dogs that fit this description because the XL bullies are not actually a recognized breed. That's that's uh, so the grey area causes even more uh, confusion and stress uh, for the owners here. We we actually have. I'll just read you this. It's only a couple of sentences. It's another statement from another vet, actually in Lincolnshire, Ria's Vets in Boston, Lincolnshire. Uh, we immediately took a stand as soon as we heard the new legislation regarding XL bullies that came in uh, to place to us and most people. XL bullies are still dogs and pets that require the best love from us the owners and the vets, and euthanizing a healthy dog that has no issues with illness or aggression is completely barbaric. I hope that the refusal from vets will cause a change in legislation, as I am sure there is a different way to go about it. Is this potentially, uh, TJ, a way to overcome this problem if enough vets get together and simply refuse to do it on an ethical principle? Just say, we refuse to uh, euthanize a healthy animal because it's not what we're about, but you need numbers to be able to do that. Could there be like a, a, a coming yeah. together of uh, vets in your area? Say, we're not, we're not doing this. We're just not doing it. Yeah, we've got to stand united. You know, potentially any dog over 15 kilograms, you know, should be, it could be classed as dangerous, you know, but it's the careful management of the animals and that's what should be encouraged. So if we can do some um, work with regards to that, they've never come to vets to get their opinions on this. They've just presented to the vets that they've got to carry out this awful act of taking families' loved animals away from them. So if all the vets stick together and say, no, we're not doing it, then they will have to readdress the situation. 
could they force you guys? Let me just uh, ask the question. Could they force you or threaten you with uh, fines or penalties or even withdrawal of your license if you're not complying with an actual law? Because this is where we get into a gray area here between your ethical stance and the way that you practice as a vet and the actual law of the land. Has anything like this ever happened before where technically no. speaking, a vet could be uh on the hotspot to say, well, I don't believe in this. You're asking me to act as an executioner for one of your policies that I don't agree with. And if you, if I don't agree with it, you'll take my license away. It's a little bit like, you know, the mandates that came out uh, for certain professions, unless you get injected against COVID-19, you're going to lose your job. That puts a lot of coercion onto the employee. In this case, could, could you guys as vets feel highly coerced uh, to do uh, something that you don't believe in? And then obviously there could be financial uh, penalties as a result of not complying. I think if we stay together, stick together, united and be safety in numbers, um, they won't have something that they can enforce. So I think that's what it's about. Be a united front and stand together and bring our um, beliefs to them. And I think this will have to be in Parliament, like I said, readdressed again of how our beliefs and um, as vets, we're there to care for animals, not kill animals. Can I, uh, this can I is, ask uh, as well? Yeah, I was going to ask Natalie, just uh, ask, because we have covered this, um, you know, we've been covering this for months now since this story first broke. And Natalie, you rightly pointed out, this is going to escalate. This is going to get to the point now where they could be taking healthy animals and euthanizing them. And here we are today, uh, the 4th of January, 2024. We're actually talking with a vet dog owners live on air about the exact same issue. It's hard to believe it's got to this point, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, my concern is they're starting with XL bullies and what stops them then moving to another breed and then another breed. And I wanted to know if uh, what your experience is this week. Have you had a lot of phone calls from worried owners? Uh, you know, kind of have you been overwhelmed or, uh, you know, uh, ha have people not really been contacting you about it? Huge, absolutely huge. We put a, a post out on social media last week um, and we've already got over 250,000 shares of that post. Um, what we did is we we said that we will never put a healthy animal to sleep, which is already our principle. But in connection with that, what we've done is also offer discounts for the nutrient and spaying of the animals to help Brilliant. the exemption as well. And also we've been asked to work with charities. We're offering our facilities for specialised training with trainers, um, owners, education, because we've got indoor and outdoor training. And we believe that we can make this right. But we're looking after the animals that, you know, don't deserve to die. Uh, yeah, the, and the thing about... The thing about ownerships and breeds as well, you know, some some breeds of uh, dog, you know, if you've got a golden retriever versus a, a, a pit bull terrier or whatever, the, the, some dogs are naturally more aggressive. But how much of an influence do owners actually have? Because our last guest was obviously a very responsible XL bully owner, never had any issues with her dog, knows people that have had them, never had any issues. And then they're associated uh, so sadly with a certain type of people who can take a dog like that, mistreat it, train it the wrong way to be extra aggressive. And it's really the bad pennies in terms of the owners that are bringing a lot of, uh, that have brought us to this point rather than responsible yeah. owners, isn't it? Yeah, this is true. And this is what we say, you know, the, the vets weren't involved with this ban and the consideration of it. Whereas it's our belief that if breeders were licensed, they were checked, um, they had to have, you know, you check their backgrounds, 
And then also another thing that we think strongly believe is that these dogs should be have some sort of training mandatory in the first two years of their lives. And I, no. I was going to ask as well, yeah. um, you know, is there a case as well on the other side where there are uh, dangerous dogs, XL bullies or another breed where you do actually, unfortunately, have to euthanize them because because they are actually too dangerous? Uh, do you have cases of that yourself? We haven't come across those cases as yet, no. Yeah. But we yeah. do feel that all dogs, all animals have got a brain. So if they're carefully managed and managed well with professional experienced specialists, you've got to give them a chance. It, it might well be that they're in the wrong hands and very badly managed. Should there also be a TJ as a, a possible uh, protection against dogs being mistreated and brought up the wrong way? We have, uh, you know, if a child's born, you get social care visits to make sure that the parents aren't, you know, abusing them. Should there be, if it's possible, even some kind of follow up that if a, a certain type of dog is sold that, you know, six months or a year, they get a visit from, you know, a local dog warden or whatever to make sure that the animal's being kept in good conditions, that they're not being abused by their owner or that nothing untoward is going on or is that too much of an ask just as we uh, draw this to a close? It's a bit of an ideal situation. It's how the resources to police that, but it would be good. But I think yeah. the licensing of the breeders would try and eliminate that because the vets would have to be involved with regards to the parents of them, the, um, the breeders and the behavioural of, of the breed as well. So yeah. if that was put in place, that would sort of, um, eliminate that a little bit and help yeah. that. Well, what we'll do is, no doubt, this issue's not going away anywhere. In fact, it's reaching this point now where people are starting to get concerned and uh, make approaches to yourself and many other vets. So uh, I really want to appreciate you coming on here this morning, uh, TJ, and just giving your, us your input and your perspective on this. And no doubt, as this uh, continues to develop, maybe uh, we could get an update from you uh, as any more developments occur. And best of luck uh, getting together in your part of the world and just uh, refusing to comply with this uh, euthanizing edict that's been set out by the government. So that's uh, TJ Duncan Moore, MBE. Thank you so much for joining us here this morning. We will be right back after the short break here on TNT, today's news talk. JDRS vision is to create a world without type 1 diabetes. The type 1 diabetes community is at the heart of everything JDRF does. We were founded by the type 1 diabetes community. In the main, we are governed by the type 1 diabetes community, we're energised by the type 1 community and we're accountable to the type 1 diabetes community. It's on their behalf that we exist and it's on their behalf that we must succeed. JDRF exists to rid the world of type 1 diabetes. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. So for us, that means rallying all the resources and all the people and all the organisations required to make that a reality as quickly as possible. The world's best researchers, exciting innovative companies and the passion of the type 1 diabetes community then delivered through the health system so lives get better every day, day after day, until the day we find a cure. To everybody in the type 1 diabetes community, no matter your age or stage with the disease, whether you were diagnosed recently or a long time ago, we need you to know that we are here working on your behalf to deliver a world without type 1 diabetes as quickly as we can. Thank you to everybody who supported JDRF in so many ways. You are making our vision of a world without type 1 diabetes possible. Our beautiful world is changing, withering, 
dying by the hands of those who don't value nature, even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands, heal our waters, and save our wildlife. With big solutions only nature can provide. But every day we lose more of the places we love, and we urgently need to save endangered lands, waters, and wild species. The actions we take today will determine the tomorrow we leave to our children and grandchildren. The water they drink, the air they breathe, the beauty they experience. To learn more about how you can help protect and conserve our beautiful world, visit nature.org today. This is a place for crazy people. Natalie Cheel and Rick Mott. Thank you, listen. TNT. Yeah, welcome back to today's news talk. Uh, we've now got uh, Refusenik Paul from X uh, coming up. He's a social communi uh, communicator. Oh, I can't even speak today. And an <laughs> activist. He's a freedom fighter. He's also my mate because I met him at the London Freedom protests uh, for the lockdown. But today he is here to talk about the latest scandal for the post office. And there's been a TV adaptation this week. And I know he's watched it so he can give us a review. Paul, what did you reckon? You've seen the adaptation. What did you make of it? Did you think it was good? Did you think it covered the story well? It did. Uh, it did cover the story well. And anyone that watches it will get an insight. But there's a lot missing as normal and also it's like this story's been hidden from people for 20 odd years it's just unbelievable um and the other point that's not stressed in the uh documentary is um the post office was under ownership by the government when this was going on it was only privatized in 2015 so this was directly a problem with the uk government um there's loads of bits missing. There's a lot more people involved than they show you in the film. Um, there's some really awful things. There was a woman uh, sub postmaster that was put in prison while she was pregnant for this. Uh, yeah, it's probably the biggest scandal of the last 50 years to be England. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was going to say, apart from the COVID scam that obviously hasn't really uh, come out into the mainstream media, it's been it's been called the UK's most widespread miscarriage of justice between yeah. 1991 and 2015. 800 innocent sub postmen and postmistresses were wrongly accused of accounting errors um, for because of an IT system called Horizon. Um, there was also an appearance, wasn't there? from Nadim Zawali. Did you see that? Yeah. Uh, the Tory yeah. MP. Yeah. I thought, I thought yeah. that was a kind of mocking us a bit, wasn't it? Putting yeah. us a Tory yeah. MP in there when yeah. the actual yeah. government were, were and state-funded post office were a part of this. Uh, yeah. Was he a big part in it? Not really. He just sort of just... appears in it for a few minutes. But yeah, it's a definite good watch because it's a drama, so it's easy to watch and it is well done. But it just it's it's much bigger than they're showing you. I've been following this story actually for a few years and you, you talk to people, no one knew about it. It was so hidden. Yeah, um, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you think this is a good thing that they've done this adaptation? Do you think it will kind of show the public uh, more about kind of corruption um, and uh, mispractice and open their eyes a little bit? Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I mean, the other thing is I was I was thinking this, I think I tweeted it actually. 
you know, we've got all this thing with uh, banks um, canceling bank accounts of people that they don't like, basically. Yeah. Well, yeah. if I had money in a savings account with a post office, I know what I'd be doing because yeah. yeah. I don't like their morals either. Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's hope it does open people's eyes. Rick, did you have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm uh, stunned at this uh, when I'm looking at the figures here, Paul, to be honest with you. Uh, this has been going on technically for at least 16 years, or at least it had been between 1999 yeah. and 2015. Yeah. And like, you, I, I had absolutely no idea that this was happening under yeah. our noses. And, you know, one of these institutions of the UK, which is the, you know, yeah. the post office, over 700 people wrongly convicted over false accounting. So we're not talking about, you know, isolated incidences we can yeah. understand over, you know, a short period of time. But this was 700 people uh, wrongfully yeah. committed for fraud, effectively and possibly jailed, losing their jobs, losing their uh, reputations over a period of 16 years. How the hell did it go on for so long? And how did they get so many people banged up wrongly or, or convicted wrongly? I know. I know. The other interesting thing, which they do touch on in the drama, um i've not fact checked where this it's like so a lot of these uh postmasters they made up the shortfalls out their own pocket and the good yeah. question was asked so where did that money go because it was an error but that money was taken so the drama says that that money was put into post office profits now call me cynical but they were privatizing the post office around 2012 it finalized in 2015 so did they want to keep the scandal quiet and the profits looking good for privatization who knows? It's, Who knows? It, it, it's, it's certainly possible. Um, and do you think, because um, uh, there was an article in The Guardian as well saying the post office workers who have been wrongly accused, they're still waiting for compensation four years after the landmark court case. Yeah. Do you think maybe this drama might push them uh, to, to have to put, you know, actually get the money out and start paying the compensation eventually? Because now this maybe. is going to be more in the mainstream. Maybe, you know, but who's going to pay the compensation? Because remember, Post Office Limited is now a private company. It's not public ownership. So is the government going to pay it? Well, are we going to pay it, in other words? But they deserve it. They deserve millions each. They've lost their homes. They were in prison. Yeah. They got. Uh, it, it was just unbelievable what was going on. And it was kept so quiet from us for all them years. Yeah. So, for, yeah. yeah, we've got to take it uh, to a close now, Paul, but really appreciate you coming on and highlighting uh, just how awful this scandal was. And uh, we will keep you updated on it. So hopefully now uh, these people will actually get some compensation and then this will push the government um, and whoever else, the post office, the Royal Mail, yeah. whoever it is, these people need to have some kind of consolation of having their lives absolutely ruined. And uh, you yeah. can uh, see Paul as well on X at geezer paul r that's the right one isn't it paul yep is that right it. yep and then yep. Uh, you can go follow him there so uh, we've now got to talk about more news stories here at today's news talk i'll pass it over to you rick what would you like to start with well, to be honest, just on reflection and what we've just talked about there, Natalie, I was not aware of the uh, extent that this had been going on or for the amount of time that this had actually been going on for uh, within the UK, within the post office itself. And you've not just the post office, but you've got Fujitsu uh, stuck in there as well, which is a huge firm as well. They were responsible for the, you know, apparently partially responsible for these accounting errors that landed these people in jail. But can you imagine actually being locked up, doing your job legitimately, probably for a very long period of time and the shame 
And the, the fact that you knew that you hadn't done anything wrong and you still went to prison, lost your house, lost your job, maybe didn't get access to see your kids growing up all because of an, uh, a tech issue with the post office. And not for one people or two people, but 700 people over six, 16 years. I, I, I can't get my head around the scale of this one, Natalie. Genuinely, this one's an absolute shocker. This could be a nomination for most shocking story of 2024 when we do our New yeah. Year's Eve awards uh, next Christmas. Uh, this one's already in the running. I don't think they'll be able to I, top this. I must I must admit, I'd never heard of this story until I started working at TNT. I mm-hmm. mean, this is, I remember reading about it maybe six months ago or something, but mm-hmm. awful to think the whole British public were just kept in the quiet about this. Huge miscarriage of justice. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's the way that's the way things happen as we know in the mainstream mainstream media it's a bit of a cover-up you know that they'll put whatever they think uh that we need to we need to read uh what we need to be brainwashed with but not actually the real news and i can my heart goes out to anyone that was involved in that yeah. scandal okay can you can you imagine your whole life just huh. decent normal working people your hmm. whole life's being turned upside down knowing you are completely innocent so absolutely awful story rick it is, it is. And there's another one here uh, we've highlighted to talk about as well. Sadly, uh, there was a young lad stabbed to death uh, on, I think it was New Year's Eve in it London. Was, yeah. uh, Harry Pittman, uh, a boy has been arrested on suspic- suspicion of murder. So this young lad here was only uh, 16, 16-year-old 16 Harry Pittman from Haringey was attacked in Primrose Hill, North London uh, on Sunday night. Uh, a young lad has been arrested, 15 years of age, along with an 18-year-old man on suspicion of a fray on Tuesday night, which was uh, a day or two ago. So this is all part of uh, Sadiq Khan's London. He claims that it's a safe place to be. Of course, uh, it's an extremely violent place now. Crime rates are going up. And of course, there's almost uh, an association now, Natalie, uh, with London and knife crime. And it doesn't seem to be going away anywhere. And young kids are still being stabbed to death on the streets of uh, Sadiq Khan's London. Yeah, and I, I looked it up this morning. The maximum sentence sentence for carrying a knife in the UK is four years in prison. This doesn't seem to be working as any deterrent. So, you know, I was going to ask, you know, what more can be done? Uh, you know, you can let me know in the online chat if anyone thinks, you know, I don't think it will make any difference if you put that up to 10 years. I don't think that will work as a deterrent, deterrent myself. I think you've got to get to the root of the problem. And uh, the the kind of youth today, you know, they're... they're there isn't anything kind of education training. Barely any people go into apprenticeships. We've got a massive problem with deprivation, with the poverty gap. Yes. If you're born into that area, it's almost it's almost like the fashion in the end to carry mm-hmm. to carry a knife, and they've got nothing really to look forward to. They're thinking there's not really any job opportunities. Uh, it's almost like they've got no meaning and purpose. For me, until you can address that problem, you're still going to get children, and and then you know they are children till they're 18 you're still going to get children being killed and carrying knives because they've got nothing else no meaning no purpose in their life Rick so for me that's the real thing that needs to be addressed 100% and you know we've talked about this before about postcode lotteries a lot of people are just fortunate by virtue of the fact that they're born into a nice area where there isn't knife crime and there isn't so much deprivation not that doesn't mean to say that you can't turn out to be a criminal or a violent criminal or a murderer because you live in a nice place 
However, you are infinitely more susceptible to negative influences if you're living in areas of deprivation. And sadly, uh, this four-year sentence, for example, if you're caught carrying a knife on the streets of London, most people that are normally law-abiding will would be concerned about that and it would be a deterrent for them. But for the people that are trying to actually stop carrying knives, they don't give a damn. And you made a good point there as well. If you're in in an area that's run by gangs and you know everybody else your age is carrying a blade in case there's a fight a lot of kids are like well i i need to carry something as a weapon because everybody else is tooled up and if anything happens at least maybe it'll give me a chance of staying alive even though it doesn't necessarily work like that it's just a terrible spiral not like of deprivation that leads to a lot of kids either dead seriously injured or their lives ruined because they have a conviction for knife crime, either possession or intent, GBH. Even in Reading, we have a problem with knife crime. And I know, um, and I know know people and uh, uh, like their children, and they say we have to carry them because when we go out, we're doing it as almost self-defense for the reason that you've said. Uh, So it's very, very hard uh, to get round that. If they feel they're not safe, they're going to go go out and carry, carry a um, knife because they're not going to be worried about the four-year sentence. They're more worried that they're going to die on the day, aren't they, uh, yeah. than they are about a possible prison sentence. That's it. And the other thing is, too, you know, the, there's you, you see movies where there's knife fights in it and they're long and drawn out and very bloody and gory. It, it only takes one short motion from a knife to hit you in the wrong part of the body. And it doesn't have to be a machete. It could be a small bladed knife, just cutting the wrong part, the wrong artery, or going into your uh, lung, causing a clot. And somebody could be dead, not even if you didn't intend to, you wanted to scare them, or you were trying to defend yourself, you had no intention of murdering anyone. You could go from someone who's never committed a crime today to literally being arrested for murder uh, within the space of 24 hours, simply because of a, of a stroke of a knife or a stab of a short blade knife into your leg you know if you stab somebody in the leg cut their femoral artery they'll bleed out within you know less than a minute dead you don't have to stick the knife in somebody's neck or cut their throat any stab in any part of the body could be fatal if it severs an artery and uh, again you know there's a lot of people who have uh, killed people maybe without intending to but the bottom line is they end up with a murder rap anyway and you've got to feel sorry for children uh, here now too. You know, when I used to used to go out when I was young, you know, you were what you might be worried about a fight happening, but it was only going to be fisticuffs at the very worst. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, you know, for the youth going out today, there is a real fear um, mm-hmm. when, when you're out. I mean, this apparently just started. He was just watching the fireworks with his friends. Now, that doesn't mean he's completely innocent. I know nothing about but about this gut this boy. I don't know if he started the fight. Who who knows? I don't know if it was a massive altercation between. Uh, groups of people we don't have the information here uh but for for just being young it must be a real worry not to be able just to go out nor you know just go and meet your friends that could Mm. that that possibly rick could end up just meeting your you know in a group going to firework display could mean ending your life uh i certainly didn't have that worry when i was younger did you no, I didn't. And it's worth noting as well that, you know, it's not just the, the, the kid that died that's that, that's suffering in all this. Obviously, he's yep. sadly dead. But then he leaves behind a mother, a father, maybe brothers and sisters, a girlfriend. They've lost their, you know, their son, their their boyfriend or whatnot. And then you've got the families of the kids that done the stabbing. You know, there's a 15-year-old and an 18-year-old there. Their lives could potentially be, you know, blotted because of this as well. Right, so they've committed a murder attack. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think it's important to 
to realize that when you do commit a crime, it's not just you that suffers from it or as a victim of it. There's a much, much wider uh, circle of people that are affected by this as well. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. As you can hear the music, uh, it's time for us to go here at TNT. Uh, it's been it's been great talking to our guests. Make sure you go look them all up. Rick is going to carry on for Locked and Loaded. I will be back here at the same time at 9am tomorrow. Go out and enjoy today. Have a good one. And I'll be back 